This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is Light Fighter Lessons. In this series, we discuss infantry warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and we're here with another episode of The Crucible. Sergeant Major, would you introduce yourself, please? Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Command Sergeant Major Chris Zellai. I'm the current Battalion CSM of 1st Battalion, 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 3rd Brigade Combat Team of the 82nd Airborne Division. Can you tell us uh, where you're from, upbringing? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I was originally born in Cliffwood, New Jersey. Uh, moved around quite a bit, but spent most of my time uh, in New Jersey. I've been in the Army 18 years. 14 of that has served with the 82nd Airborne Division across four separate brigades, and then I did ROTC and some time at, uh, as a drill sergeant, and then also my year at the Academy. Okay, and uh, did some time in ROTC as well? I did. One year in ROTC at WPI, Worcester Polytechnic Institute, hidden gem of the Army. What's the, what's the mass? <laughs> yes, sir. What most surprised you about uh, JRTC? Let me back up. When was, the first, when was the last time you were here? The last time I was here was as an HHC first sergeant, I want to say in 2018, sir. Okay. So very different, unique role between a rifle company and HHC first sergeant uh, for that, where you don't have an OC per se, and you're kind of fit in where you can and resolve friction as necessary. So I wasn't exposed to as much as I was as a battalion CSM, especially the brigade problem sets that, that arrived in, in in, in our AOR uh, compared to where I thought we had a lot of problems at the battalion level, but when you get up there uh, at, the, at scale with the brigade, you kind of see like, okay, my problems are pretty small compared to what the brigade's dealing with. What, what's, what most surprised you coming through? For this particular rotation, yeah. for, at the battalion level, what surprised me is, if, if I'm being candid, the amount of tasks I thought were implied to subordinate units that were not implied uh, in terms of equip, bringing the right equipment having the right people, uh, and just kind of everything that we thought, me and, and, and my battalion commander, Colonel Andy Smith, thought were conditions were set when they were not set. And, and this place ex ruthlessly I, I, exposes I hear, you. I hear Morgan Freeman voice. <laughs> the conditions are set. In fact, the conditions were not set. And, and it's not a knock, per se, yeah. right? Again, you, you, you're not leading yourself, and you have to understand that. You have to put your experience like, okay, did I tell them to do that? No, I didn't. So then really whose fault is it? And you have to kind of look in, okay, we did not, we did not set conditions for them to be as successful uh, as that. And then furthermore, as I alluded to earlier, it, it, it just shows you how your battalion small problems are significantly s smaller at scale. So in the, in the space and time in that particular firefight or preparing for that operation, yes, you have a small, you have a problem and it seems large, but if you understand holistically the large picture, it, it really means nothing to compare what the brigade is, is fighting through. Yeah, and uh, well, I mean, I think this is probably why you're going to be a brigade sergeant major. I mean, that mature perspective, um, you know, something that we've talked about in the last couple of days and some of our after action reviews is the ability to empathize uh, with your higher headquarters, 
right? And uh, so what were the, some of the, the problems that, or challenges that you saw the brigade wrestling with that you looked at as you're getting ready to think about going to be a brigade sergeant major? You're writing down like, oh, oh, that looked like that. Yeah, hurt. it was it was it was absolutely a, a, a ton of stuff uh, for it. So I would I would say that what the brigade things that I saw from my standpoint that the brigade struggled with is certainly terrain management, right, on the drop zone around everywhere. And it's kind of hard to point the thumb of, of who's, who's, whose problem is it, right? Because number one, yeah, you could say, hey, Brigade, you need to manage this. But I don't think subordinate elements did a great job of saying, hey, boss, I'm moving here. I'm going to have this element here. I'm going to have this element here and have the overall graphics show where everybody is. So you would know going in, okay, if I move from west to east, I'm going to run into a battery. I'm going to run into the roll two. I'm going to run into all these elements, and it's probably not the best location for me to just drop a rifle company there. So definitely the terrain management piece was a, was a huge uh, eye-opener for me. And the second for us specifically is just understanding and, and being very good at digital fires uh, for that. Like we, we at the battalion, my battalion struggled with this. We never had digital fires, and it, and it showed with the amount of actual uh, large bullets we actually fired from 105s and 155s from the batteries. We were not able to fire as many as we probably should have. So when all the lead, senior leaders throughout the division talk about leading with HE, we never really got to that until the, until the pursuit portion of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the terrain, you know, kind of the terrain management part, um, I mean, it's a team effort to get that right. I mean, obviously, I think the brigade has a role in doing that. Um, you know, one, as you, as you kind of talk about, uh, you know, hey, this is where I think I'm going to be. I think the other part is, like, a boss brigade, this is the, I have to actually have this piece of terrain to, to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. This piece of terrain is essential for me to establish my command post because of the geometry of the battlefield in the C2, or that piece of terrain is essential because a battery has to go there. It's the only place that we can put it. It's the only place that's not under a foot of water, and, you know, and has the terrain. And so, um, you know, leading up and helping people understand what terrain you're going to need. Uh, and then I think the other part is, you know, being disciplined about, okay, if there's, if I know on the graphic control measures a PAA is going there, I can't land grab it. And I'm not sure I got that as a captain. I don't think I understood that the impact of me being in a place I wasn't supposed to be had on the rest of the formation. Um, yes, yeah, sir. So I, I would submit to you that most of the companies, they're just trying to do what they're told. Everyone's just <laughs> trying to be a great American and do right. what they're told. Like, sir, you told me to go here. I went there and there's all these problem sets and it gets overlooked because most of the time, you know, it's like, hey, pick up and move now uh, for, for whatever the scenario or whatever led us down that road. Yeah. And then it gets back to, uh, you know, kind of how you started this with, you know, surprised at the things that you thought were implied that were not implied. Um, you know, it, going back in time, like how would you close that gap uh, on the, the things that, that maybe you and I or you and Colonel Smith would like sort of assume that those things are just implied? How would you close that gap? In formal ways, more, more formal, right? Because obviously you do a, a myriad of condition setting before you come here. We, we brief all the, you know, the RSO and I brief, and that, that kind of drives what we're, what we're looking at. But, like, simple things such as, like, bring your tent poles, bring your tent stakes, right? Well, some of that stuff we did not, we, we, we did not bring uh, for it. Bring certain barrels. Bring everything you need to go to war with. And that's the term that we didn't def 
define with them per se. It's like, okay, what do you need to fight and win versus what do you need to go to JRTC with? Because the, the mindset was like, well, I'll just go get it. I'll just go get it from here. Or I'll be able to get it from here, uh, et cetera. And it, it cost us quite a bit. So yeah. I would use some informal ways to go and talk to those commanders in first science and be like, hey, tell me what you think you're not bringing. Yeah. Tell me what you think you're not going to bring specifically down to the, to, the, to the detail and then even further down to the, the platoon sergeant PL level just to make sure they understand why they're bringing it. Not just, hey, bring this, uh, because I think people deserve that. Uh, to a certain extent of, of explaining why you're bringing these things and why it matters, regardless of how much space and, and stuff you have. So certainly informal ways versus another meeting or touch point. Yeah, no, I, you know, the why, um, I think on the left-hand side, six months in the past is is great. It's educational. You know, this, this is how we make this over a couple years. More of this become implied. If everybody just sort of gets brought up a certain way and thinks about certain things a certain way, and it's, it's by explaining the why. Um, you're right, like in execution, it's like, I would love to explain why, right now I just need you to do. And we, we gotta see some of that in the rotation. Um, and then your kind of comment about, you know, don't tell me what you're bringing, tell me what you're not bringing, I think is, is huge. I, I, I see, um, having been bitten by that as a battalion commander or brigade commander, I certainly have picked that one up over the years of um, you know, really it's asking people what they're not bringing or what they're not doing versus what, you know, they're going to do. Yes, sir, and unfortunately we didn't do that until we got here, right? That's where we found out, you know, hey, we left 450 cows back in the rear in a 240. So, well, why? Why did we do that? Well, I didn't think I'd need it. So that, that's kind of the conversation. When it's an uncomfortable commander-to-commander conversation that they had, certainly. But had we done that in the Sergeant past. Sergeant over there with his popcorn watching the captain. Watching it. I knew it was happening. I was like, there's, there's no way you can brief this other than I, I hose this up, sir. Right? Yeah. Lesson learned. Chalk it up and move on because some people want to die on their hill for the wrong reasons. Right. And, um, you know, I think, it's, you know, something else um, sort of in there I think that's, you know, pretty important is you know the the leader development component of this you know it this all starts when we think about the combat training centers we got to get people out of the idea um that they're like they're here to learn they are but but every we're always learning like if, if we're a winning organization we're always learning you know the best sports teams i've ever been a part of um have been that way you know i I played uh, soccer for a guy named Matt Spear, and we could be beating a team five, six, nothing. And at halftime, it was always, hey, what are the three things that we're screwing up and need to be better at in the second half? And that, you know, those have been the best teams I've been a part of. And so, you know, we're coming to JRTC to win, to win in combat, uh, because anywhere we're gonna, winning's a habit. And if we have that mindset that we're coming here to win, that we're going to war, learning will happen. Uh, because we want to win bad enough that we're going to do whatever it takes to close the gap, to get a 5% improvement. Uh, and, it, you know, it, of course we want to learn, but I don't think we learn at the right tempo if we're not laser focused on beating the enemy and winning. I mean, you're spot on, sir. Two, two things. Number one, your comment about, you know, All-American 7, you know, former COG. You know, right. he, the way he framed it to us at the SATB is, you know, you have three types of units that come here. They, you have units that come here to watch their unit train. You have units that come here to train, and you have units that come here to go to war. And I, we, we tried to get that mindset to yeah. the team. It just didn't penetrate as low as, as we'd like, right, because we, we discovered, number one, 
we don't really understand Lisco as, as well as we thought we did. And number two, we're, we're just not as good as we thought we were. All right, and that, that, that's across multitude of things uh, for it, and a lot of lessons learned unpacked for that. So, um, you know, before we go forward, I, this brigade, one of the things that I thought was really impressive, and, you know, the way you just described it, incredibly humble organization. Um, and not in a, aw shucks, like we could do better and we want to do better kind of way, but in a seriously, like, we want to dominate. We want to dominate the enemy. We want to win every single time. And we're willing to say, we got to be faster. We got to be bigger. We got to be stronger. And, um, you know, I think th that is part of why there's been so much growth over the last 14 days uh, with this brigade and, and your battalion, especially. Um, this willingness to be like, okay, yeah, great. We took the objective. Wasn't good enough. Didn't kill enough enemy fast enough. Didn't reduce our casualties enough. Never satisfied. And, um, you know, everybody wants to be on the varsity side until it's time to put in the sets and reps to be on the varsity side and be candid the way, you know, your team's been candid. So, um, you know, I, I think that growth comes from that. Um, what's the number one lesson learned that you've taken out of here, you think? So as I said, so the number one lessons learned is, is we're not as good as we thought we were. And what, what I mean by that, is there are things, like especially with young leaders, where there's this tremendous amount of confidence, but the competence isn't there to back it up for that. So, so some of my younger leaders, even platoon sergeants, PL squad leaders, right, some of the, the nuances when we talk about rehearsals, PCCs, PCIs, a lot of that stuff gets overlooked for whatever reason. I, I can't pinpoint exactly why other than commitment over compliance uh, per se for that. But w through our training glide path, which for, for the 82nd, as you know, is condensed, right? We do a tremendous amount of training in a short period of time in order to get ready to assume the IRF, right? And I, I'm not going to use that as an excuse in any yeah. capacity whatsoever because there's reps and sets we left on the table that, that we could have done uh, for it. But I don't think this exposed a lot of things to us that we thought me and, you know, 1P6 thought we were in a good spot or we thought we had a handle on it or it was implied that simply just did not get done for that. So overall for me, my biggest lesson learned is we're not as good as, as, as we thought we were and the opportunities that we squandered and wasted should have been dedicated to some of these things that we struggled with. Yeah, and you know, when you and I talked out in the box, um, you know, part of what, <clears throat> what, what I really appreciated about it and why I asked you to come here is yes, there's things that we see with our junior leaders that that folks that are more senior have been doing this are like, why? Um, but but you, you really talked in terms of ownership of like I have to do a better job of teaching them. I have to do a better job of of um, you know draw, have, helping to have this penetrate down. You know, as you, as you think about going into your next job or advice that you give, you know, battalion star majors out there, what what are some of the things that you think you would you would you're gonna do different going forward, or to advise to people to do going forward to help help this penetrate deeper, help uh, maybe uh, get our some of our junior leaders to better see themselves and 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 take some of these lessons on the front side versus the back side. So, I mean. Candidly, sir, it's really easy to create a list of, hey, this is what you should do at yeah. JRTC and email it out uh, for it. You know, I mean, it's really easy to do that. You know, every there's, unit there's can kind of, years kind of do less. that. I'm, yeah. I'm certainly going to focus, like in my opinion of my experience, there's two centers of gravity in, in a rifle company. You have a team leader and the first sergeant. Those are, your, those are, in my opinion, are the centers of gravity to focus on. 
for that because it, it, there, there is no such thing as a bad unit in the Army. There's only bad leaders uh, for that. That's my personal opinion for it. So it's certainly getting non-commissioned officers empowered, informed, and engaged, right? Because that's what makes our Army different from our, our, our armies throughout NATO and throughout the world. We have a professionally trained non-commissioned officer corps, right? We have NCOs that can fight so our officer counterparts can plan and look up and out and set conditions for the next thing. If I have to have a PL or a commander worry about is did this 240 go in the right spot or it didn't go where I, I want him to, then he is not, he or she's not paying attention to, you know, whatever the, sh the, next, the, the next phase line they have to get to turn on the next 105, et cetera, so on and so forth, right? So it takes capacity away and that comes up at scale. Even at the staff level, you start taking field grade bandwidth away and that's, that, that's what the difference between a 65% plan and maybe an 82% an plan for that. So it's certainly energizing the non-commissioned officer population and educating them specifically on LISCO-esque things versus like, hey, because none of the stuff, I mean, sir, none of it's crazy, crazy talk. I mean, it's like, make sure we have security established when we get off a helicopter, right? That's NCO business for that. So it, it's not necessarily, hey, this is what I hosed up and lessons learned. It's like, hey, these are things that we, we must do to be successful, period, right. whether we're at the Joint Readiness Training Center or we're you know, somewhere in Indo-PACOM uh, for that. So I'm definitely going to target specifically on our, uh, our non-commissioned officers, right? Being, just being a leader of character, leading by personal example, inspecting, and then training as necessary for that. And then leaders at all levels set the tone for everything, right? So what we talked about when you, you said the humble pie, and how we did, that was pushed down from us from P6 at LTP. Prior to even going to LTP, we are here to learn and get better and welcome everyone in with open arms. And if we don't set that tone at the top and it permeates through the battalion commanders to the company commanders, it, it's not going to go as well for us. We're going to try to hide things. Or we're not going to take an advice and things are going to get catastrophic and we're going to start pointing the finger and you know blaming Geronimo for having boresighted that day or whatever the excuse yeah. or, or reason is um, for that. So it's, it's really... The, those two specific things and then again informally having discussions with specific warfighting functions about hey this we hose this up really bad here's the recommendation for it or just did you take a look at this did you take a look at this because it's real easy to go and say hey you know major so-and-so you, you probably need to do this and then they don't do it and me just point I, I told you that that's just not beneficial for everyone especially as the the stress gets high so really those two things for me is Target those non that non-commissioned officer population and informal informal leadership with getting everyone kind of on the right page and sharing some lessons learned. Yeah, it. Uh, I think a lot of this gets to experiences that people have and had not had, and you know part of why we call this place the crucible <clears throat> is we're trying to expose people to those experiences, right? Um, for the things that go well and things there are things that went well on this rotation. Um, it reinforces, it's like, oh, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe my Sergeant Major wasn't crazy. You know, he harped on this for the last six months and we did that and we did really well at it. Um, and then the things that, that maybe we're not as good at, it really just exposes and, and challenges us to get better. And there's, there's kind of no hiding from it here. Um, what, um, you know, what, what things over time in, in the fight, um, you know, did, did you find that, that you were really pleased about that, like, okay, that, that went about the way I had, I had thought or had hoped based on how much emphasis and, and uh, effort you and Pete and uh, One Panther Six. So, so really three things that, that I thought. Number one was just engaged leadership. Like, we, we 
had extra violations. We had issues, but we had engaged leaders uh, at points of, of friction when, when necessary to prevent further, further issues, right? So engaged leadership is something that's always harped, again, top down from P6 down. So I was, I was very pleased with that. Number two was definitely our ability to parallel plan uh, for that. So the ability for, I think, Everyone can say, and, and my opinion is commander-to-commander -commander dialogue is always what everyone wants, right? Do you understand, and, and, and et cetera, right? So our ability to do parallel planning, whether it involved me going to the companies or another, someone dropping off graphics and picking up, the ability to do parallel planning gave a lot more time back to the companies. Because I would say 85% of the time, we followed the one-thirds, two-thirds very well, and that was only enabled because of the parallel planning. And then our ability to employ AT systems rapidly, I could not have been more pleased uh, with that. Again, I, to me, that's a mentality, right? When we, we're crossing an LDA, we're not sending some riflemen like, like we do at Ranger School. We are going up there ready to, to put those weapon systems to work, right? Because there was certainly no shortage, no shortage of the enemy at some of the major LDAs we had. Yeah, a lot of uh, blinking lights from Geronimo, uh, for sure. And, I mean, that was impressive. I mean, I, I uh, in the employment of Carl G's, the empl employment of Javelins was superior, uh, this rotation. Um, you, know, the, you know, the empowerment of leaders, let me flip this to you. I, I, I've heard this a lot, and, it, and over time it sort of crystallized here as people talk about it. I think it's less empowerment and more about accountability, right? Because like we lay out like what the dues and responsibilities are for a team leader. Like they're empowered to do those things. I would maybe frame back like, are we accountable, right? And I think generationally, you know, I hear a lot of leaders take this on. I have to do a better job of empowering my subordinates. Um, I think what they really mean when I peel back is that I need to do a better job of holding my leaders like accountable to do these things. Now, you know, my view is like leader development, if I've trained and certified you to do something, then, then I just sort of expect you to go do that thing. That's right? fair. That is fair, sir. I will tell you, I, I have a great many conversations with subordinate leaders about individual responsibility versus leader accountability. And right. it can kind of sway you know, both ways, right? Because a kid doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Like, hey, who's, who's his NCO? Who's his leader, yeah. et cetera, right? So maybe I framed it poorly. So for me, the empowerment piece means it's all built on trust, yeah. right? So you understand the commander's intent. We're not supposed to, you know, be compromised or X, Y, Z's happen. I know that's on the, the high payoff target list. I can take out that threat right now. Full send, go. I trust you. And I trust that you trust me that if you make the wrong decision, we're going to unpack and I'm not going to nuke you in place, right, yep. for that. Is the, them having the ability to, to fight as necessary for that. However, on the flip side, I, I can't argue with your comment about accountability because ultimately that's what it comes down to is holding people accountable. And people say, yeah, I hold my, my, my personnel accountable. Well, it might only be that one time when it comes around for a report card. There's a whole 365 days where we're able to you know, shape and influence and change behavior and culture within a formation. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, right? You have to be comfortable with getting rid of people. And, and as we set out there on, 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 the, on the range, like the hardest thing right now, I think, from a young man or woman to do is look another man and woman in the face and say, you're not doing a good job. Yeah. And, you know, I would go one further. I think it's the peer side of that, too. Within a fire team, when it's like, hey, man, you know what we're supposed to be doing right now. Why aren't you doing it? Um, you know, the, the, I love the drop zone. 
the drop zone, if you've never had experience of being in an airborne unit, the drop zone is the most democratic place in America, right? Because if you're not out of your harness, if you're not doing the, the actions that you're supposed to do in the drop zone in the dead of night, it's such a chaotic environment. It doesn't really matter, like, what, if a paratrooper sees somebody not doing the right thing, the expectation is they're correcting them, right? And I mean, that's like nirvana of where we want to be, of, you know, paratroopers being like, hey man, you need full security right now. Who are you? Uh, does it, it doesn't matter, does it? Um, and ultimately, I think that, you know, that this place helps to show that because when everybody's doing what they're supposed to do to the best of their ability, it doesn't mean it always is going to come off. It does mean that, like, we get to a higher level. Like, you describe, like, we're not taking capacity away at every echelon above. A team leader, when troopers are pulling security, a team leader has more time to think about, hey, make sure my status card's updated. Hey, let me look at my sector sketch, kind of do those things. Uh, and that, that pays its way up to the top. Um, you know, units don't succeed or fail based on the leaders. It's based on all of us. You know, ultimately, and I, I think you're right. Like leaders set the tone. Okay. Um, hey, what what uh, what advice would you give uh, leaders out there thinking about you know getting ready to come here in the months ahead? So really, it comes down to four things. Number one, sir, and, and I, I you know it's it's somewhat taboo, but self development. So self-development is the most... One, one of the three pillars of That's right, that's right, sir. It's right. one of the most underrated tool in the Army uh, for it. Like, there is a litany of, of stuff, whether it's lessons learned, doctrine, et cetera, podcasts, po podcasts <laughs> or even Google. Uh, you know, right. I, I had to, at the unit, at my own unit, I had to create a, a modern paratrooper problem-solving guide to walk people through, okay, I had this issue, I was told to do something, how to get to a yes without simply, you know, passing the monkey off to someone else's back. For it. So cer certainly self-develop just to educate yourself on wh what the Army is supposed to do doctrinally, and then SOPs, et cetera, and then commander's guidance and intent, right? That should drive what you're doing. So self-development is definitely one. Number two is talent management across the board, right? Because everyone comes here, we're guilty of it. I don't have people. I have this, I have that. You go to war with the Army you have, not, not with the Army you want. And, and me, I am still personally struggling going from the Afro-Gen cycle to the sustainable readiness model to now rearm with the word, the way people go. And now IPSE is, has its own struggles with the way we, we yeah. get uh, plussed up with personnel for that. So you take what you have, you look at the problem sets, and you task org to the problem sets and the mission that you have for it. Because you know, Sergeant so-and-so might not be good at this, but he could probably sit here and do this for you. So I, I would certainly think when you go back to home station, look at what you're going to do, especially in your talk and at, at the staff level. Because people want to, that, that's where like people go to die, and it's a revolving door in that three shop. But you want to put the right people in there, and we struggled with co-ops. I mean, really struggled with co-ops. And I think a lot of that is because we had inexperienced folks and didn't have the right senior NCOs in there to drive that process for us. Sergeant Major, okay, so may or may not have made the same mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I changed out both my battle captains uh, 60 days before coming here, and then like weird like our current operations like really struggled. And they were both great Americans. Um, but it, you know, if we think of our staffs as crews, right? I mean, we have a plans crew, we have a day crew, we have a night crew. And if we treated those as, with the same level of rigor that we would for a weapon squad that has to be trained and certified before we trust it on a live fire, 
not trusted because we trusted her character, but the sets and reps and commitment. Um, I think that's huge. And hearing it from Sergeant Major, you know, my view is the absentio in a in a three shop at the battalion level is a future first art. That's why we're putting them there, right? I mean, it's it's not only is the the scale of the problems that he's able to solve impact 750 people, um, but it's also it's the place where we expose people to the problem sets they need to see before they go on to be a first art. Well, I agree, sir. And then you become they, because then you're down yep. at the you're down at the asset. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, hey, they up there. Then you see, you know, what it is, and you have an appreciation, just like I learned from Brigade. You start to have an appreciation of the problem set because it's challenging being a rifle company. It is because you have no resources and all the requirements. Yeah. And the higher you go up, you have more more resources and no requirements for that. But you're you're spot on, sir. And it has to be the right people. Yeah, and there's a I think there's a a, a nexus to you know, which came out in some of the ARs, like we have to solve problems at the battalion level for companies. Like we have to, we have to put them in a position to be successful. And, and the way we do that, is, frankly, is being pretty directive about some things. And then at the brigade level, we got to do the same thing for battalions because at every echelon we have usually bigger staffs and certainly with more capability and capacity. And I think when, you know, you get a, a SARM first class in a three shop and starts to see the horsepower that's there, they can be like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, why are we not figuring that out here before we tell a company what to do? We figure it out here and, you know, we save, you know, m my favorite, although some of the, the systems have changed this is, you know, hey, we, we it, was a, it was a brigade XO and we were getting ready to task uh, all the battalions to tell us who all they had that was ranger qualified. I'm like, that's one. You can like literally go into a system and figure that out right now. How about we publish the list of who we think is Ranger qualified and have them validate. And then bottom up feedback, yeah. Right. And that's and now we've saved like half the time that it would take a company to do it or the time. Yeah, that comes with reps and sets are again, right. most folks are just trying to do what they're told. Right. Right. They're just absolutely trying to do um, uh, what they're told. And then the last two things, sir, back to the advice is, is don't waste a rep. Like you have time that you don't you don't know about and your subordinates know about. And I see it from the rifle range to layouts, et cetera. You know, if you, you look at the average time a paratrooper or a soldier spends on the range qualifying, it's not a lot. Well, what is he or she doing on that back time, right? It has to be planned concurrent training. That makes sense. That makes sense and focuses stuff, right? So when we say like master the fundamentals, to me it's like, can you employ this Western system under limited visibility, poor conditions with zero assistance? That then you are a mastery at that that weapon system. Not I did it during the day, or I had to have Sergeant So and So for that. And uh, again, it's hard to penetrate that through the, the force, right? And and I don't I, I would blame us. I blame senior leaders because we've created a culture where you know people need to be told when to train, right? You, this is your window to train. This is your you know time to train uh, for it. We're we're trying to get better at at the battalion level with LTT that we talked about that leader time yeah. training, formerly sergeant time training. But it is, it, you know, with competing demands, it, it, is, it is challenging uh, for that. But it, it's, to me, just, again, a mindset. Everyone wants all their people, right? A squad, they're like, well, I only have half my people here. Well, that's still 50% of what you had that can get better at whatever that specific task is. And it aggregates. You know, over six months, if you're training, who you have available, when you have them available, in six months, you'll have touched everybody, and you'll have touched a bunch of people a bunch of times. Um, and it aggregates to being pretty good at it. Um, I, you know, I think, I think part of it's like folks have never seen an army like that. Um, you know, and, it, and, um, I wrestled with this as a brigade commander, you know, I would describe, and, and they wouldn't, 
understand what I was talking about. And like I, I'd grown up with not if you were out in the field, like you were just training, like you just wouldn't sit around. There was no way. And then I think the the second is. Um, it, it's given the priorities and saying, okay, hey, if you have free time, if you have time, this is what you need to be training on. This is what you do. Um, as I think back, like that, those were the units that I was a part of that was really good. Like, I, you know, hey, I, I knew weapon squads, they were going to do crew drills, like all the time, consistently. And they would practice and rehearse, and they would compete against one another, and then they would do it blindfolded, to your point of doing it in a limited uh, visibility conditions and switch switch positions over and over again to the point um, that they took great pride in who was who could do it to standard the fastest. Uh, magazine changes, you know, who can do it to standard the fastest. Yeah, it's just things you, you take for you take for granted that that might not necessarily be published in in cycle or annual training guidance, right? But again, it's implied, right? It's implied that you were going to teach them. How, how, how to do that, and I think we overlook it a lot. Yeah. We overlook it or we don't, we don't assume it, and you know, then you'll have issues where folks come to live fire training to, to train instead of like be certified at some of these things and we have to stop and go and look at uh, yeah. for, for what it is, right, um, for it. And then the last thing, sir, is just hum humble yourself when you come here, because this exposes everything from your equipment to your readiness, et cetera, and if like, you know, it's, it's, it's real easy to list out all the things that we're required to do in the Army. Well, that's why commanders can accept risk and say, boss, I'm not able to do this. I have to, and, and then it gets worked out here. Seaburn's an excellent example, right? And we paid for that dearly uh, for it. But let, let your OC team in to, to help resolve some, some friction before things get worse, right? Because they're going to see patterns and issues before you will. Most of the problems that I was privy to came from an OC, not from my subordinates. And I was able to go face-to-face, -face, direct, informally to adjudicate appropriately. So if you have problems or, or whatever from, the, from day one, let your team in, your OC team in, to kind of help set the stage for you and allow you to get better. For you. And if it turns out it doesn't work, at least you were able to try and say, okay, that did not work for us based off of my personnel, my mission set, my equipment, et cetera. But at least you're trying something new versus just trying to, you know, go out there and die for God and country. Yeah, strong range your way through. Everything. That's correct, sir. Right on, sir. No, I appreciate you I saying that. that. Could you try? Um, okay. Hey, uh, I'm gonna let you have the last word. We gotta, we gotta close up here. You gotta get, you gotta get on an airplane. Uh, what, what closing thoughts do you have? So my overall closing thoughts, sir, is like, just come here to go to war, right? Don't come here to train. Do not come here to, to, to try, you know, you, you can't come here to try things out, right? This is the place to fail, because you don't, but you need to come here with your unit with the mentality that you are coming to go to war with Geronimo, right? And if you come here with that mentality and your subordinates come here with that mentality, they will bring things to bear that they have never done. There are, this place ex provides training that nowhere else can be replicated, a CTC, right? We talked about this with the disruption zone. Right, when I, you, you read about it, and, and now newly published 3-90, okay, disruption zone. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that there's wire everywhere, there's creepy music, Geronimo's, <laughs> Geronimo's every 200 meters and forces you in places you don't want to go or where they want you to go. And it's very challenging to replicate that uh, for it. So it's understanding <clears throat> the totality of everything you have. So my closing comments is prepare your unit as if you are going to deploy to war when you come down here and you will be better off for it. I, I could not agree more. Um, you know, so I, hey, I'm gonna close out with a couple thoughts. So, um, you know, things I appreciated, uh, 
first and foremost, I appreciated you know in, in the fight watching you uh, humility above all else. I mean, you're you're a pretty confident uh, non-commissioned officer, um, and, and that really, frankly, showed by being incredibly candid about like, hey, I think we're doing okay in this, but these three, four things like we got to get better at. Uh, the second is, um, you know, I appreciate how you and your commander impose your will on your formation. Well, sir, that's why they refer to him as, as Andy White Lightning Smith, because they ride that lightning, sir. And, you know, and I think, you know, we, you know, if you're a squad leader, a platoon leader, a company commander, you can't begin to impose your will on the enemy until you impose your will on your own formation. And, um, you know, this, when you come here to fight and win, and you want to do that, um, and and you're not going to be distracted by other things, and, you, and you're laser focused on that, um, it brings units to a different level. It really does. Um, people push past uh, the point that they thought they could go. And, uh, you know, your team, uh, air, air assault, deep, uh, fought through some of the, you know, fought through Jurassic Park, <laughs> uh, kind of the dinosaurs out there, uh, got onto the objective, fought through the objective, um, and it, it was really, really awesome to watch and, and watch your young leaders take on the persona of the organization to, to seize the objective. And so really cool. Appreciate your time. Look forward to having this conversation uh, with you in September. Yes, sir. And uh, congratulations to all your success here and all the success you're going to have with the Falcons. Thank you, sir. All the way. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC Experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot ee forward slash jrtc we'd like to thank our partners at the center for army lessons learned of the combined arms center especially the jrtc call observations detachment be sure to follow them on social media as well follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www dot army dot mil forward slash c-a-l-l don't forget to like subscribe and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future the crucible the jrtc experience is a product of the joint readiness training center